you've got your Bibles that I hope that you do, turn in them to Luke chapter 2. Familiar passage of scripture that we often, many of us in our families, in our traditions, read this during this season. The season of Advent that we have been in for the last three weeks is one of celebration and anticipation, celebrating all that Christ accomplished for us in his first Advent and anticipating and looking forward with eager expectation to all that he will complete in his second Advent when he returns. And this morning, we are considering in this passage the heart of Christmas joy. We celebrate with pure unadulterated joy all that Christ accomplished when he came the first time when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem born to be a mediator between God and man as he would be led to the cross to die for sinners like us but then at the same time eagerly anticipating his return not as a suffering servant but as a conquering king, and how our joy that he accomplished at his first advent will be made perfect and will be made complete when he returns. So let's read Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 this morning, and we're going to focus on verses 8 through 14. So church, this is God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that there is such a thing as an Advent season, a Christmas, where we celebrate that you fulfilled your promises to send one who would crush the head of the serpent and put an end to sin and death. 
for all those who would come to you in faith. Father, we thank you for this celebration, this time of celebrating all that Christ accomplished for us. We thank you that we get to celebrate this child that Mary and Joseph laid in a manger in a feeding trough. But we consider that manger against the backdrop of a wooden cross. And we know that that manger was precious and and what it held was precious because of who he was and of what he would do. He would live the perfect life, perfectly fulfilling the law that you had given to your servant Moses and to your people. No one else ever could, but he did. He fulfilled every iota of that law and achieved the righteousness that we never could. And then he was led to a cross. You used, Father, the instruments of Pilate, the instruments of a Roman army, the instruments of the Jewish elite religious leaders of the time. Father, you used the penalty and judgment that we deserve because of our sin. But ultimately, Father, it was your hand that led your son to the cross. And that's why he came. He came and was born to die for sinners like us. What amazing love. And may the joy of that good news fill our celebrations of Christmas this season. And may the anticipation of that joy being made complete fill us with anticipation and expectation for his return. Father, we thank you for this word, and we ask that you would speak to us, your church, from it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're talking about joy. What is it that you enjoy about Christmas? We sing about joy at Christmas. We just sang, joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. What is it that you find joy in during the Christmas season? There are lots of things that we can find joy in. For some of us, it's spending time with family. Many of you, I know, will be traveling this Christmas season to spend time with family. Others will be having family come to you to spend time with them. It is a joy to spend time with family at Christmas, especially when we don't see them often enough during the remainder of the year. Lots of things bring us joy at Christmas, exchanging gifts with one another, seeing kids running around, opening presents, eating lots and lots and lots of good food. There are lots of reasons that we enjoy this season, but none is greater than the good news of great joy, this announcement of great joy that the angels brought to the shepherds in this birth narrative of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. On the night of Jesus' birth, the shepherds were doing what they had always done. 
They were watching over their sheep. A necessary and lonely job. They were out in the fields at night watching over the sheep and the goats, their flocks. Probably drifting in and out of sleep. They were minding their own business, enjoying a peaceful night on the quiet hillside outside of Bethlehem, when all of a sudden we're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't surprising enough for them, verse 9 also tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I don't know if the glory of the Lord has ever shown around you at your night. Actually, I do. It's never happened. The glory of the Lord has never shown around you or me. The Greek word here for glory is doxa. It's the name for our student ministry here at New Branch. Doxa. And doxa means glory. And glory, in essence, means brightness. And so the glory of God is the brightness of God. The full manifestation of the sum total of his attributes displayed is his glory. The glory of his holiness, the glory of his greatness, the glory of his perfection is the brightness of all of that. In the Old Testament, it was the Hebrew word shekinah. It's what Moses beheld when our God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. When he came down from the mountain, having been in God's presence, having been in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, he had to wear a covering over his face because the reflection of the Shekinah glory, the the reflection of the brightness of God's holiness, the mere reflection of it was so bright that it was too much for the people to behold. This has never happened to us before. We've never experienced anything like it, anything close to it. There is nothing as bright as the glory of God. And so we can't even begin to understand this kind of brightness. The only thing that perhaps we could compare this to would be bright lights that we encounter on dark nights. Whether it's a flashlight that someone shines in your face or, a, or a, a flash going off, someone taking a picture in a dark room. Or maybe you're driving down a street on a dark night and, and, and the high beams of a, of a semi a, a flicker on right as it gets close to you. In any of those circumstances, our natural response, our physical response is to what? Is to cover our eyes, to protect our eyes. Well, imagine these shepherds. There had been no lights in any sky for them beyond the, the, the moon and the stars. There was no electricity. So there, was, there was no such thing as a bright light in the night sky. And on this dark, peaceful night, what shone around them was not a flashlight, not a flashbulb, and not even the high beams of a semi. It was the Shekinah glory of the Lord reflected by the angels themselves this is the brightest brightness that man can behold and live and so naturally we're told at the end of verse 9 that they were filled with great fear 
But then then the angel spoke and said, fear not. Now that's an easy command to give. That's a hard command to follow. It's kind of like the command, don't worry when there's something to worry about. Don't fear when there's something to fear. But then in verse 10, the angel spoke and gave a reason for them to not fear. Fear not, for behold, which means look, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the ground of the angel's command to not fear was the good news of great joy that they were pronouncing. This, this good news that they were bringing to them. That was the ground and the reason for them to command, fear not. The word for good news here is the typical word that you might expect for good news. It is the word that we typically see as gospel, because the gospel is good news. But what's interesting to note here is that this word in verse 10 for good news is in the verb form. Typically, when we see gospel, when we see the good news, it is in the form of a noun referring to the good news. But here, it's a verb. It's describing the action of the angel. What is the angel doing? He is gospeling. He is bringing good news to the shepherds. And what's he gospeling the shepherds with? He's gospeling them with joy. He's bringing good news of great joy. So this wasn't just good news of joy. This was good news of great joy. The word great in the Greek is the word megas, is where we get our English word mega. And so this is good news of mega joy. That word mega was also used back in verse 9 to describe the fear that the shepherds naturally responded with because of the appearance of the angel and the glory of the Lord shining around them. There it was mega fear, and now it's mega joy. So there are two foundational truths that we need to unpack from this that are transformational. And the first is that whatever our fears might be, the gospel is the answer. Whatever fears we might be faced with in life, the gospel is the answer. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. The gospel is the answer to any and all of our fears. Now, how can that be? How does that work? Well, first of all, every fear reminds us of our need for the gospel. It reminds us of our need to be saved, our need for rescue. Writing for the Gospel Coalition, author Sophie McDonald writes this, At the core... Beyond the rising blood pressure, the increased heart rate, and the heightened awareness, all things that come along with fear, beyond those things, fear tells us that we need a Savior. Whether it's a fear of failure, a fear of rejection, 
a fear of death or a fear of the dark, fear sends a signal to our souls that we cannot be the center of the universe, that there is more to life than us. Fear whispers of our brokenness and cries for security and cries for refuge and cries for something or someone bigger to protect us. She goes on to say that every fear can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3 where we had the fall of man and the entrance of sin into the world which further tells us that fear must be universal because sin is universal and the antidote to sin must be the antidote to fear and the antidote to both we know is the gospel and so every fear reminds us of this reminds us that we need to be rescued we 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 need a savior to save us but secondly the gospel is the answer to all of our fears because it reminds us that our greatest fear has already been defeated our greatest fear has already been dealt with the gospel tells us that no matter what we fear in life jesus has taken care of our greatest fear our most profound source of fear that of being judged by a holy god that of sinners getting what is their due which is eternal judgment and eternal punishment so what do you fear in life what is it that that brings you just panic and utter fear in life whether it's the safety and security of you or your loved ones becoming in jeopardy, whether it's the fear of a pandemic or some other kind of disease affecting you or your loved ones, or the fear of natural disasters, and we saw a display of that this past week, the fear of the economy tanking, the fear of inflation running rampant, job loss, your retirement losing all its value. Whatever your fear is, the gospel is the answer because the gospel reminds us that our greatest fear beyond any of those has been dealt with and has been defeated forever. This was the good news of great joy that the angel was proclaiming to the shepherds as they watched over their sheep outside of Bethlehem. Verse 11, for unto you, here's the, here's the good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this is the birth announcement. The, the angel is gospeling, proclaiming that a baby's going to be born right over the hills in Bethlehem. And this baby is a savior, and he is Christ, and he is the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. He is savior, which means that he is the means by which man can be saved. He is the savior. Well, that presumes that we have something that we need to be saved from. What is it that we need to be saved from? Not just our lesser fears in this life, but our greatest fear. 
The fear of a sinner before a holy God. The fear of the wrath of God, which is his righteous anger against sin and rebellion against him. The fear of the judgment of God. We need to be saved from what we deserve because of our rebellion against God. Put any of your or mine, my fears in this life up against those things. The wrath of God, the judgment of God, the penalty of our sin, and they pale in comparison. And this greatest fear of ours is exactly what Jesus came to save us from. When he was born, they named him Jesus because that was what the angel Gabriel had told Joseph to name him, Jesus. The name Jesus in Hebrew was Yehoshua, Yehoshua, which means Jehovah saves. The angel told the shepherds that the baby born in in the manger is Savior. He also said that he is Christ. The Greek word Christus means the anointed one. It's an epithet for the Hebrew word Messiah. He is the promised one. And he is Christ the Lord, meaning that he is the sovereign ruler. He is the one with authority and the right as the Son of God to rule. He is the master. And so the angel's proclamation was that the baby born in Bethlehem on that night was a Savior, the one through whom man could be saved. He is Christ, the anointed one, the promised Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe incarnated as man. And the angel said, this is good news of great joy. But not only does this have application for our fears, it also has application for our experience of joy. So the second foundational truth is that the source of our greatest joy is the gospel. The source of our greatest joy is the gospel. Mega joy is ours because of the one who was born in Bethlehem. And so let me just ask you about your experience of joy. Do you experience this mega joy this Christmas that the angel is talking about? Do you have great joy this Christmas? We mentioned at the outset that there are lots of reasons for joy during the Christmas season, but the reality is there are, for many others, Lots of reasons not to feel joy this Christmas. Because this is a time of year in which the expectation of feeling joy is very, very high, many who simply don't feel joyful struggle with an even deeper sense of sadness and grief than they would otherwise. For example, if you've lost a loved one during this year, which sadly many in our our church have this year, you feel their absence more profoundly at a time when family gathers together. Their absence is more 
felt during this time of year and more intense. In general, if your year has been one of disappointment and suffering as it has for so many, and the sorrow of those experiences will be felt oftentimes much more heavily during the Christmas season. Perhaps more than any other time of the year, our experience of the Christmas season, the Advent season, is often felt on such a broad spectrum between sheer delight and happiness and joy on one hand and utter sadness and maybe depression and perhaps the opposite of joy on the other hand. This is part of living in a fallen world. Sometimes circumstances will occur which elicit an emotional response of joy and happiness from us. Other times, circumstances will occur that elicit elicit an emotional response of sadness from us. Now, the typical contemporary Christian response to this is to explain that joy and happiness are not the same thing, that there is a stark line of demarcation in between them. Have you heard this? I've heard it. I've taught it. But unfortunately, I believe this is one of those 21st century Christian proverbial statements that most of us, myself included for many years, really haven't spent time studying the Bible to find out whether or not this is a biblical truth or not. The teaching goes like this, joy is different from happiness. Happiness is an outward emotion that is based on circumstances. And joy is not an emotion, it's more of a belief. It's, it's a state of mind. It's something that is based less on how we feel and based more on how firmly we hold to certain doctrinal truths. Based on this notion, some have gone so far as to say, to take it to the next level, that happiness itself is sinful. Famous writer Oswald Chambers, the writer of the famous devotional classic, My Utmost for His Highest, which I commend to you. In his volume on biblical ethics, he says this about happiness. Happiness is no standard for men and women because happiness depends on my being determinedly ignorant of God and His demands. You see, out of a right and true and good concern for people finding happiness in sin, some writers have proverbially thrown the baby out with the bathwater and have discarded happiness itself as sinful, such that we should not experience it nor pursue it. And so is this true? Are, are happiness and joy two separate emotions are they really that different is joy not an emotion but a belief i would submit to you that the popular notion that there is a stark line of demarcation between joy and happiness is largely arbitrary and not based on scripture we certainly don't see a vast difference between them in the scriptures consider jeremiah 31 verse 13 which says, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. 
I will turn their mourning into joy. And the words for rejoice and joy there are elsewhere translated gladness and happiness. The last line of that verse says, I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. And other English translations translate that that line, I will give them happiness out of grief. Consider Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. When a man, and this is a great uh, truth that I think should be uh, implemented in our world today. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. Great idea. But that, that word for happy there, that, that, Greek, that, that Hebrew word for happy is the same word in the previous example in Jeremiah 31 that is translated joy. I will turn their mourning into joy. So in Deuteronomy, it is happy, and in Jeremiah, it is joy. And by the way, it's also the same word in Psalm 97, verse 12, where the psalmist commands us to have joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. It's the same word that we find in Deuteronomy as happy. And so we could translate that phrase in the Psalms, be happy in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. So could it be that joy and happiness really aren't that different much at all? And that the stark line of demarcation that, that contemporary Christianity has drawn between them is largely arbitrary because my study of the scriptures leads me to believe that they're more like synonyms than antonyms. Is it really true that joy is not a feeling like happiness is? When I googled joy defined, the first thing that came up was the definition, a feeling of great happiness and pleasure. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, wedged right between love and peace. And while certainly we cannot say that love and peace are exclusively an emotion, certainly they are not less than that. They are more than a feeling, but they are not less than a feeling. Same is true for joy. It's more than a feeling, but it's not less than a feeling. So when we talk about the joy of Christmas, we're not talking about a sharp distinction between joy and happiness. We're talking about feeling joy as much as anything else. But what we're not talking about is a fake hypocrisy that sweeps suffering and anguish under the rug and puts on a mask of disingenuous happiness. Biblical joy and happiness is one of faith-filled contentment, glad satisfaction, and supreme delight in knowing God as Father and knowing Jesus as Redeemer. Let me say that again. Biblical joy and biblical happiness comes from a faith-filled contentment and glad satisfaction and supreme delight in knowing God as Father and knowing Jesus as Redeemer. And to say that we don't feel that kind of joy or that we shouldn't feel happy as a result of those truths 
is, in my estimation, to dismiss one of the greatest aspects of our inheritance as God's children. Consider the words of the Apostle Peter, which were read earlier, and consider his expression of joy, which is what I call it in the first few verses of chapter 1. Listen as I read these verses that you've probably heard before, and hear as Peter's heart of joy builds throughout this passage. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is worship. So there's going to be a a real key connection between worship and joy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives the ground for that worship. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that he says, listen to how he describes our inheritance, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, he says. In this you have happiness. In this you rejoice. And then listen to how he, he, he counters this. In this stuff you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by many various trials so that and here's the reason for the trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith that is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire that th- that this tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ He goes on to say, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And, listen, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If that's not an expression of joy, I don't know what is. Church, let us not be so afraid of being happy in Christ that we think that we can read truths like that and embrace truths like that without a smile on our face. Of course we feel this kind of joy. The heart of Christmas joy is the good news that God sent a mediator to stand between Him and his wrath against sin and us who were marked by sin. Christ the Lord, our rescuer. God as man, God enfleshed as a human. He lived as one of us. He died in our place to reconcile us to the Father through faith in Jesus. Christmas means that you and I who were dead have been made alive Through faith in Jesus. Christmas means that you and I who were enemies of God have been made sons and daughters of the King through faith in His Son Jesus. Christmas means 
that those imprisoned by sin have been set free. Christmas means that God has not forgotten you. And Christmas means that even in your saddest moments, you can be happy in Christ. Even in your grief, you can have glad satisfaction in Him. And even in your deepest sorrow, you can have an even deeper joy in the Lord. Will there be circumstances in life that cause sorrow and grief? Yes, absolutely there will be. It's called living in a fallen world. And yet for those for whom God has saved by grace through faith in His Son Jesus, He grants to them an experience of joy and happiness that is deeper and stronger and longer lasting than the deepest sorrow, the strongest heartache, and the longest lasting anguish in this life. So if you find yourself in grief or in sorrow or heartache this Christmas, I say to you that your pain is real. Your sorrow is true. And your heartache is nothing to gloss over with a fake smile. And yet the deepest joy and the truest happiness and the most supreme gladness can be yours in Christ. So I say to you and to all, be happy in Christ. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice in God who has sent this Christ child to be sacrificed in order to redeem you to himself, to reconcile you back to himself, and in whose presence you now stand, now and forever. Rejoice in this God. Rejoice in this good news. Rejoice. And at Christmas, in a few days, when we are experiencing the lesser joys, and that's what they are, they're lesser joys. The joy of opening gifts is real, but it's a lesser joy. The joy of watching children and the wonder in their eyes, the joy of spending time with family, the joy of feasting on God's provision is good and real, but they are lesser joys. And so let us enjoy them as lesser joys, remembering that Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so we, we rejoice in those lesser joys, but we rejoice in them as lesser joys, recognizing that our greatest joy, our truest happiness, our most supreme gladness has already been met by the infant in the manger who was led to a cross and through his death and resurrection took away the sins of the world and is seated today at the right hand of the throne of God and will return one day to turn all of our sadness into supreme joy and take our incomplete and imperfect experiences of happiness in this life and replace them with his very presence in whose presence we will be supremely glad and happy for all eternity. And so this proclamation of good news, this gospel 
means those two things, that our greatest fear has been defeated and our greatest joy is life everlasting with the God who made us for his glory. Friend, if you have never responded to that gospel, then for you, your greatest joy is something that's still here in this life. Your greatest joy is one of those lesser joys, whatever it is. But worse than that, your greatest fear is still at play. It hadn't been defeated yet. And so the only way for you to avoid the realization of that fear, and the only way to lasting joy is to respond to that gospel, to respond to the good news of the angels. And repentance of sin and trusting faith in Christ alone. And if you have responded to that good news, to the gospel, then friend, church, rejoice. Rejoice that your greatest fear has been dealt with. And celebrate that lasting joy is yours in Christ because of the first advent. But then Jesus will return. And so look forward to that with great anticipation. For your joy, however imperfect and incomplete in this life, will be made perfect when he returns. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the reminder through the gospel that the good news of Jesus Christ is the answer to fear. There are many in this room who are struggling with various fears even now. And Father, I pray just pray that you would make real to them this truth of the gospel. That if they trust in Christ alone, their greatest fear has been dealt with. And so all other fears pale in comparison. Father, help us to delight in you above all these lesser joys. Help us, Father, to see these lesser joys in their proper light and perspective. The blessings that you have poured on us, family, church, the things that we will enjoy, the provisions that we will take part in later in this week, we recognize them as good gifts from a good father. But help us to see that they pale in comparison to our greatest joy. Wrestle away from us, Father, those lesser joys that we have made our supreme delight. And replace them with yourself. Father, may even the joy of heaven pale in comparison to the joy of being with you. And Father, we pray for those among us for whom their greatest joy is something in this life. And they're blinded, their eyes have not been opened to faith. They've not come to trust in Jesus. And so they don't see you as their supreme delight. Father, would you give them the faith to trust in Christ this Christmas? And give them a soul satisfaction. A faith-filled contentment. And knowing you as Father. And knowing your Son as Redeemer. 
Father, may our Christmas celebrations reflect that you are our greatest joy. And in faith, we thank you that you have accomplished that in Christ. And Lord, we long for his return. However great our experience of that greatest joy is in this life, it is still marred with the presence of sin. And so we long for his return when he will make all things new. And that joy, however imperfect today and incomplete, will be made complete. Until then, Lord, build our faith in you and our trust in you. And send us out, Lord, to bring this message of lasting joy to a world that has settled for far less. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.